sailors who are out there in the pristine ocean where you don't have people around you and you see a freaking garbage bag, mm-hmm. that's disheartening. On the second round the world race, we broke our rudder after we had a big piece of plastic wrapped around it oh. in the middle of the North Atlantic. It's just, and, so and, the, and the difference between the first time around in 89-90 and 93-94 was market. Since the Berlin Wall came down, I've been worried about plastic in the oceans. I didn't know about microplastics until the late 90s. And then it's like you're sitting here telling people about microplastics and they thought, think you're talking about outer space. I'm like, no, they're in the fish. They're in they're at a microscopic level. They're in the plankton. The fish are eating the plankton. You're eating the fish. You're eating plastic. You're eating your own garbage. What don't you understand about this? Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you. Hear their struggles. And then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone and you don't have to wait for others. I wish you could see the context of this conversation at Don Riley Sailing Center. Don Riley has sailed in three America's Cups. She's won around the world races. She's won the America's Cup. She's led other teams. We're at the sailing center that she runs to restart the elite level of American sailing. A couple hours before this conversation, she sent me out to see Olympic medalists competing on the Long Island Sound. Shortly after this conversation, they all came in for a barbecue. So there's medalists, there's gold medalists, there's CrossFit Games winners and more. Actually, you're going to hear these world-class athletes, their trainers, the organizers, and so on, talking in the background over the course of this conversation because we're sitting there at the center. To me, a top measure of leadership is who follows the leader. Dawn is surrounded by themselves top leaders, themselves world-class people, and she's taking them to the next level. She leads athletes, business people, educators, parents, and more. I wish that I could describe the force of nature that she is in action. Her results speak for themselves. I hope that this conversation shows the potential of leadership and cultural change because she is living it. You can see it in everything that she does, and you can hear it in everything that she says. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Don Riley. Don, how are you? I'm doing great today. And if, if you hear the noise of, of a sailing crew behind us, it's because we are at Oak Cliff Sailing Club. Sailing Club? Sailing School? Sailing Center. Sailing Center. Mm-hmm. And uh, now, Don, you won't know this, but before this, I'm going to say you are a woman of many victories and many firsts. <laughs> uh, in the sailing world, you're a really big character. Yeah. In the sport of sailing, I'm quite well known. I've been doing it for 40 some years professionally. No, 40 years exactly professionally. Uh, So that's kind of brings you a little bit of notoriety. And there's so many directions I could go in with this because I want to talk to you probably most eventually about the environment, but I think I want to talk to you most about leadership and sailing and teamwork and learning how to lead through 
athletics and sports, sailing in particular, which is unique, I can't help but ask. I know you get asked this a lot. What's it like to win an America's Cup? Um, it's complicated, actually. Uh, of course, yay, we won. But it, it's not. It's not just the moment, you know. And that, and the moment that you win isn't the moment that you remember. To be totally honest, you remember all the little bits and pieces leading up to it, and then you re-remember with your friends when you see them 10, 15, 20 years later. Yeah, the team element of sailing seems unique and different and incredibly, I mean, I guess they're, they're solo. I, I, even if they're solo sailing, it's still still got to be a major team effort. Yeah, so solo sailing, which is not my thing, they talk about the other competitors are their team. But in like around the world race, you better have a good team. You better like the people because you're going to be in wet, cold, miserable conditions with no sleep, bad food for 30 days at a time. So if you don't like the next the person next to you, you're in big, big trouble. So I feel like on a boat, there's there's this mix of a lot of people out there. They see leadership as a command and control thing. It's what's in the movies. That's like more. It certainly sells more movie tickets. And I think on a boat, there's got to be a very strong chain of command, but I feel like it can't be just that. There must be a lot of... What you first need is organization, which is the first step of leadership. What you second need is in an emergency situation, and that might be an emergency because you're going to lose some minutes on the race course or an emergency because of life and death. No different. In an emergency situation, you need a strong chain of command. But those are very few and far between. The rest of the time, it's an organized leader in circular loops of communication and conversation. And you actually have like a speed team and a technical team within a boat and a tactical team. So, and some of those teams overlap. The tactician needs to understand what the speed is and needs to be able to be aware of how to adjust the sails if you're having a problem but he's not regularly in the speed loop. The speed loop is the trimmers and the helms people. So it's all, and I'm talking on a boat with seven to 10 people. You have like this complex organization all getting to the point of where you're making a boat go seven knots. <laughs> <laughs> when the other guy's going 6.9. Exactly. A tenth of a knot, a hundredth of a knot. That's what you're looking for. And to get there, as you're saying that, I'm thinking to myself, that means you got to practice and practice. You got to train and train. You got to get to know each other and you got to know the ship. You got to know the team. Mm-hmm. Right, let me transition here. So, what you're doing now is you're, you have a, a center that teaches people at the individual level, but you're also promoting the entire sport in, the, in this country. You transitioned from learning leadership and learning teamwork to now you teach it. I teach it experientially. So, I question people. So yes, but we have Oak Cliff Sailing. We are training the next generation. And specifically, we our tagline is we are building American leaders through sailing, which is really important because yes, we're sailing and we want to win sailboat races and we want to make a difference in the sport. But what we're really doing is building the leaders using sailing as a tool. And some of those leaders will stay in the sport some of those people will go and be leaders in other businesses and realms and, you know, areas of society. No, it's not amazing to me that it's so obvious to you. Maybe it's what's amazing to me is that it wouldn't be obvious to everybody that this is a great way to learn. I mean, sports and athletics has always been, here's how I put it. There's a lot of athletes who become great leaders, say like political leaders. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of political leaders become great athletes. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> yep. 
And, you know, any sport's going to help you. And that's why I was past, I am the past president of the Women's Sports Foundation. And it's super important for young girls to play sports. Uh, to, so they have the same equal footing of men. Everybody can benefit from learning how to compete and how to lose and how to get back up and how not to take it personal, how to leave it on the field or leave it on the race course. So those are skills that every sport is going to help people to some extent. I think what sailing has on top of it is, again, it's complex. You've got the technology, the boat, the different teams, the shore team, the design team, the marketing team. It's it's a business. It's a, it's a whole world. And then even when you've done everything perfect, you have the environment. And that can change. Poof. A hurricane can come in. A wind shift. A current. A whale can surface, you know, so so no matter how perfect you are, you can still lose that race. And then you got to get back on and, and get, I think that's another big thing. Maybe this is what you meant by leaving it on the field, that pick your great, you know, Serena, LeBron, Michael, whatever. They lost mm-hmm. on a bigger scale than anyone else. And they didn't give up and they got back in it. Exactly. And the, the key to that is you have to love what you do. Mm-hmm. If you, d- if Serena Williams didn't love tennis, she not only would choose to do something else, but she'd probably suck at it. Mm-hmm. No matter how physically amazing she is, if she didn't love it, she wouldn't still be doing it. Do people come to you already full of passion or do some people come in and... For the most part, they're pretty passionate about some part of sailing. We deal with 15-year-olds, so we like to say that their brains are not fully developed. So they might be like absolutely passionate about something that's completely unrealistic to them. But the amazing part about Oak Cliff is we have inshore, offshore, high-performance, match racing, foiling, you know, the shore side, the management side. So in their passion for one particular thing, they get to discover the whole world of sailing and they almost always leave passionate about either the same thing or something else. They don't lose their passion here. It might just be better defined and formed. I hope everyone else is listening to this in, in a way that I'm, which is one, I'm fascinated about the sailing. Now, people who know me know that I've gotten into sailing this summer, but also I'm also taking what you're saying and translating it. It's hard for me not to think of it from a corporate perspective. And I, I hope that a bunch of my listeners are corporate people and Okay, they don't have to deal with the wind in the same way. They don't have to deal with, but there's so many teams and so many interacting with each other and all, and every now and then, a lot of it's preparation for the future. Every now and then it's like, it's now, like we're in a competition or, you know, like we're about to IPO or something like that. And so what, one, what you're saying is I'm reading it as incredibly valuable and I'm wishing I'd learned sailing when I was younger <laughs> uh, and I played my own sports and every, every sport's going to bring something different. Yep. Can you tell a story of, of someone who came through, you're building leaders through sailing and some will continue to sail, some will not. That's a, that's a very gracious thing to say, I think. I feel it's, right. it well, reads very generous. Well, one person who came here is now working in commercial real estate and doing really, really well. And the skills that he learned here are the project management because he was the captain of you know, a $300,000 boat. They had to put the team together. He got all of the project management skills. It supplemented his education. A sponsor saw that and pulled him out. He still sails for the passion of it. Nobody ever gives up sailing once you're a sailor, but he gets to have a, as we call it, a real job and make money and sail in his, you know, in his pastime. On the other end of the spectrum, Mark and Charlie, um, Mark, uh, 
uh, Towell and Charlie Enright were in the early program here with the All-American Offshore team. They've gone on to do two Volvo round the world races. And like what I saw, like that video I told you about before. Yep. Went, oh man. Yep. So the, those, those two, and, you know, Mark was a kid. He's a good kid. I'm, oh my God. He, and he still seems like a kid a little bit, but super smart, super hardworking and just decided, you know, he's from Hawaii and decided I'm going to do this. And yeah, when we were talking the other day in, in Manhattan, you were talking about how you speak to corporate organizations as well. And that it's like a natural fit that do you take extra classes in leadership at some business school in order to be able to speak to them? No, I finished school. I enjoyed school. I, I sailed in school. I put myself through school by sailing. So that was, that was my experience. But the, an America's cup in particular is like a startup. We say IPO. It is very much like a startup and it's not a stretch to say, these are the things I learned real time, fast paced, time limit, because you you say, I want to do an America's Cup. Generally, you have two years, maybe, to put together your company and to go to market. And there's a hard deadline because you have the first race. So you have real life experiences and tough decision making and things that you learn along the way and things that don't go so well along the way. One of the little things that I learned early on and one of the tenants that helped us with America True, my third campaign, which I was the CEO was we knew we weren't going to have as much money, but we wanted to have one, a passion that everybody was knew that we were doing something that was important, bigger than ourselves, bigger than a sailboat race. So we reached out into the community and we did uh, the beginning of community sailing and reaching into inner city kids and working with at-risk kids in our spare time during America's Cup. <laughs> the other thing is, is that we knew that we had to be so far ahead of the game and planning and using every single resource we had, including our brains. Uh, one of the saying would, we said is that if we have to use Federal Express, we have failed because we have not planned in advance. Mm -hmm. So, so many things I want to ask about. I, now, what, I'm picking up an incredible passion. And okay, you say, once someone starts sailing, they never lose it. But Sailing is like such a tiny, it seems to be a core thing, but like you're starting the center, you've started uh, nonprofits, you work with many other organizations in, in bringing women to sport and bringing sport to women. I guess sailing isn't as big in the United States as it once was. Um, that's probably true, although it's also, it depends how you define it. Is it how many people sail? How many hours you sail? If you watch it on TV, you know, 20 years ago, it wasn't on TV. So maybe it's less popular in some of the resort areas where it's a leisure sport, but I would say that it's definitely more accessible to the general public than it ever has been. And so it's evolved. Okay. And you're, and you're working at the top levels. Yes. And what's the passion? Where's your passion coming from? Uh, I think simply a combination of, I like what I do. I love being outside. I love competition and I'm good at it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Good at, okay, good at it. Could be sailing, could be teaching, could be um, specifically, administration. Specifically organizing, thinking ahead, being a, a visionary. It might sound conceited, but try it, seeing the future and seeing how we can progress forward and what we can do and how we can work everybody together to be absolute the best we possibly can. We Oak Cliff, we all sailors. We the people Some that are close. Uh -huh. We're open to everybody to join but we don't tolerate subpar. And it's not me saying you suck it out. It's everybody else having a moment, talking to somebody. You got to up your game. 
This is a team. We're all in this together. I mean, <laughs> bizarre. This is somebody who's visiting. But one of my guys just came down and said, there is gum in the urinal and there's crumbs on top. Was somebody really that hungry? <laughs> that is disgusting. But I'm not going to have to say anything. He's going to go and make an announcement, peer to peer, step up your game, or you're not invited back. You know, this reminds me of that the quote that I told you about before from Martha Graham either the foot is pointed or is not. No amount of dreaming will point it for you. And I think that that level of, when I hear that level of attention to detail, like that's not too little a detail. That's not something that you just hire someone to take care of, like the no. toilets. Gandhi cleaned toilets. That's one of my big things, like a blog post mine. Gandhi cleaned toilets. Mm -hmm. Are you so big that you don't do that? On the contrary, isn't that where the art is? Where the, <laughs> the art is in cleaning toilets. I'm going to tell the them details. that. <laughs> the details, yes. Well, that, yeah, every, everybody here, could we afford somebody to clean? Actually, we do have somebody who comes in once a week to clean the whole facility. Mm -hmm. So they can, the best they can do is, you know, vacuum and sweep and the, the big stuff. And yet we're always re-cleaning because it's not to the standard that we want. And it's not a matter of asking somebody else or yelling at somebody else to do it. It's a matter of stepping up and cleaning as you go. You do what it takes. You do what's required. You do what it you takes, but also you take responsibility. You should have pride of your space and pride of your ownership and pride of your work and your work ethic. And, you know, it reflects poorly on me if your area, if you do shoddy work and we're part of the team as vice versa. If I do something stupid, it reflects poorly on you. When everybody says, what do you get when you leave Oak Cliff? And I say, you get to be an Oak Cliff graduate. And of course, the parents are like, well, where's the certificate? I'm like, well, first of all, they're going to get a job. If they want a job, they will get a job being an Oak Cliff graduate. But one of the worst things that can happen is that I can, it's verbal, right? And if you fail or if you disappoint us for stupid reasons, not because you just had a bad day, we will remove your, your status as graduate. And it's not on paper. And it's not in some kind of a database. It's just they're no longer you can they can no longer call themselves a graduate. So I'm hearing honor, definitely uh, discipline, mm -hmm. respect, mm -hmm. teamwork. They must be clawing to get you to speak at places because <laughs> how long has this organization been around? Because I'm seeing a really tight ship here. I'm seeing like really tight community and people have each other's backs. I mean, people who listen can hear you, but I'm here and. Mm -hmm. They don't know that I was just walking through and there's like the big shop back here with like sales being worked on. And there's like, I think I saw sewing machines and like sanding down and like. Sanding a mast, recoding a mast for the class boardy or shorthanded boat. And they're doing, that's Sean and Greg were talking about how they can come in early or after work to get the right timing between the coats because they're making this like the perfect job. I'm so proud of them for that. So if you told me this has been around for a century, I'd be like, that's the way you get to be like this. But I know it hasn't been a century. It's been, how long have you been around? It's This is our eighth year. And the first year was like finding out what was here and, you know, just getting our feet on the ground. And we planned to have the program, the training part of it. The first year was supposed to be just organization. We planned on not having the training program till the second summer. And people just started showing up. We're like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's train you then. Um, but I would say that it took the the third year Towards the end of the third year is when you just step back. It, it had a life of its own. I'm just amazed at how much is going on. And there are all these things I wanted to ask you about. And there's so many, like, 
this is what sailing has been for me. Every time, I know you've heard this before. Every time I learn something, I learn more of what I have yet to learn than what I do learn. So I thought at the beginning, I learned like 5% of sailing. And now I'm down to, I feel like I know less than 1%. <laughs> there's, like I said, there's always something to learn. And then technology changes. And sometimes it helps to be a little bit older because you can go, yeah, that was a good idea in 1989. And that's why this didn't work. Or you can say that was a really good idea in 1989. It didn't work for this reason, but technology has changed. Let's try it again. Yeah, I feel like if someone came to me and said, should I get an MBA? I'd be like, maybe Oak Cliff is what you want. I totally believe in that. And I'm sure that there's a lot of academics listening. But for me, like I said, I used, I used college and high school as a way to get experience. You know, editor of the newspapers and the band. I tried out to be a flag girl. Instead, I played tuba. You know, it was just like, let's try, let's try, let's try. Hunger for learning. For me here... It is not as structured in terms of there's not book and curriculum. Well, there is a curriculum more or less, but it's it's in an Excel spreadsheet. Um, and there, there's more of like a really, really, really long to-do list and checklist of what you have to learn. But it is learning. And that that is a key. We were talking earlier with Serena and and one of the one of the super important keys that sailing lends itself to is you're never stopped learning. And I believe that most people enjoy learning. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I got here, you sent me with Greg out and I was just watching some Olympic uh, athletes. It was amazing. Th- thank you for making that available to me. And uh, that I can see, I mean, it certainly looked grueling. Today's not like the most beautiful weather, but it's, it's graceful. That I can see is learning is fun. Now, people also have to sit in rows, listen to teachers lecture. That learning is not fun. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's particularly effective except at, it's effective at something. I wouldn't call it learning, though. It's the effect of it, like, beating the spirit out of people. <laughs> and this is a totally different environment. What's what's Isn't so it? fun, like I said, is that if somebody says, can I do this? I hardly ever say yes or no. I'm like, I don't know. Can you? Uh-huh. How are you going to do it? Tell me. Explain to me. Even if I already know. Even if I already know it's going to be. Sometimes I'm sitting there trying not to laugh because what they're going to lay out to me is going to be so ridiculously bad. But by them actually saying it out loud they'll usually realize how ridiculously bad it's going to be. Are you really pulled away to like the corporate world to help them with their stuff? Because not, I mean, and this keeps me so busy right now. I squeeze in when I can. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been to a lot of places. There's a lot of places that like just don't get it. And they're still like, I don't know, bring someone in and, and teach theory or. I, I enjoy it. I just two weeks ago, might've only been one week ago. I was in Chicago at uh, UL Labs, an amazing organization. Very Underwriters sim- Labs. So Underwriters Labs. So they yeah. check if equipment works, if it's going to break, or how it can be insured. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. And very much the same type of thing we do here. People that are driven to be exact. I met this guy that was their safe cracker. And he <laughs> basically so cool. said, he, he was cool. And he, he was, you know, Army Ranger. And he was showing me how, you know, how he could do this and how he could do that. And at one point in just talking about all the geeks and the gadgets and the technology and what his job was and like the person giving the the tour was starting to get a little bit like, oh, it's time to keep moving on. At one point in there, he was talking about bulletproof safe pods for schools. And he was talking about this, the exact rules that he used to test that because he said, this is not going to fail, not on my watch. And I went, yes, Uh 
because you felt like that's that's how I that's how it is. Yeah. Okay. You said people. You started off eight years ago, and in the first few years, it was getting started. And a big piece of leadership is getting great people. Mm-hmm. And you look. I've only been here this morning or this afternoon, but this dedication, this drive, this loyalty, this responsibility. Was it just because you're the only one who's doing what you're doing and, or was it because? Well, we are the only ones doing what we're doing. There's no place else like this in the world Mm -hmm. for the sport of sailing. Part of the success, and this has been in past campaigns as well, and every company should do more with apprenticeships and interns because it's basically a tryout and they get to, they get to buy into you and you get to be part of their growth. And almost everybody here was a, was a sapling or an acorn. Mm-hmm. So they trained here before they were hired here. And so, so sapling and acorn, are the, these are the programs for youths that build into... Right. Well, for any age, but it's the oh, acorns novices. are yeah, more novice and specialized in short term. It's a you know, toe in and then saplings both feed in. They come here the whole summer and they're essentially an unpaid intern. And then, then we hire the cream of the crop or the ones that want to stay. Yeah. I want to point out how proud I am when uh, Greg was telling me about this. I was like, Oh, I get it. Sapling Oak cliff, acorn. Oak cliff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Feeling inspired. Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodekcom slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable, join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. To the listeners, I try to get a story going through, but here I'm I'm trying to get a lot of little bits from lots of different areas of what you do because there's so much of it, but it all comes together as one unified thing. Actually, a lot of unified. I mean, it's. I feel like at the root of it is a joy of sailing and a joy of teaching and, and growing and learning. So now I, it's a leadership and the environment podcast. So I want to talk about the environment. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sailing is fundamentally environmental. I mean, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's incredibly so. And, and also, to, so the listeners know that when you and I spoke the other day in Manhattan, we were going on about like getting garbage out of the, out of the water and things like that. And you didn't sound like you were faking that at all. You were, I mean, no, on the opposite, it was, it was clearly like, we were like, yeah, and then people do this. And people, what do you think about when you think about the environment? Oh, it's, it's a really broad question, but just to give you an idea, sailors who are out there in the pristine ocean where you don't have people around you and you see a freaking garbage bag, that's disheartening. On the second round the world race, we broke our rudder and it was after we had a, a big piece of plastic wrapped around it in the middle of the North Atlantic. It's just... It, so thousands it, it, of miles. And the difference... Between the first time around in 8990 and 93-94 was market. So since the the Berlin Wall came down, I've been worried about plastic in the oceans. I didn't know about microplastics until the late 90s. And then it's like you're sitting here telling people about microplastics and they think you're talking about outer space. I'm like, no, they're in the fish. They're in they're at a microscopic level. They're in the plankton. The fish are eating the plankton. You're eating the fish. You're eating plastic. You're eating your own garbage. What don't you understand about this? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's so disheartening. It's disheartening. And well, you, like I, like me, we, I feel disheartened. But then I also feel like, am I going to let this happen? And you don't seem resigned about it. No, no, no. And the other thing that's that's important to know is that at least on a interpersonal level with the sport of sailing and people who see it and younger people, which I'm lucky to be around, it's not a hard conversation. Here we have complete mixed stream, everything recycling. And people will come up to me and go, why don't you, why don't you recycle here? I'm like, oh, no, no, we do, we do, we do. And I went down to the, um, oh, not SUNY. I went down to to Brooklyn and toured the recycling plant. It was amazing. It was like Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory, but with garbage to see how, because you you think, how is it possible? And then you see how they have like readers that pop the, with puffs of air, pop the color glass they want to separate from all the other pieces of glass. Mm -hmm. And you have the shakers and you have the magnetic wheels. It was amazing. It's possible. This is really can do because so many people, when someone says to me, Simi, Simi is the recycling. They give tours. Yeah, Yeah. actually, I started. I got a behind the scene tour. I was special. I I got invited to one of those. I couldn't make it, but someone in my building is is in on that. And uh, I hope to go soon. And when I hear someone say, well, you can separate it, but it all gets put in the same place later on. First of all, I don't believe them. Second of all, even if that is the case, tip of the hat that you went and checked it out. Uh, you may have enjoyed it, but you didn't know you would enjoy it. It could have been like a smelly place that you didn't sure, like. Sure, I was. A l- I actually was a little bit nervous. I was like, oh, what have I done on my one day off in, in August? <laughs> oh, August, it's going to be yeah, yeah, humid and sticky. And to me, it's if we want them to separate downstream and they're not, the fastest way to do it is, start, is to separate upstream so that they know. Because people get into the cycle that they really like where one person says, like the consumer, the whole class of consumers says, well, downstream, they mix it, so we won't put it together. That's bullshit. Part of the reason I went to to that was because I had so many people saying, no, no, no. And I think we as a society or environmentalists or anybody could do a much better job of explaining that. Because in Michigan, where I lived, you'd, re- you'd separate everything and it would go into the same truck. Nobody, and somebody said, oh, so don't even bother. Nobody educated. All that they needed to do was tell the public that this is where you're separating it and it's going into the same truck on this truck because this takes you to the full mixed, you know, they had the, the old rules for the new technology. And I would say, even if they didn't separate it, if you don't separate it, then they're going to say, well, the people upstream don't separate it. So we, Mm -hmm. oh my God, so many people in who care about the environment, who I, I have to distinguish care about the environment, act on the environment because a lot of people say they care. Now, to me, caring and acting, if you don't act, (laughs) yeah, here's a phrase you hear a lot. Be the change you want to see in the world. Gandhi said that, I think. Okay. And they don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. Be the change. We're like, well, someone else is not doing it. Well, you do it. I still, I think my dad said it one too many times, just the old thing about if a job's worth doing, it's worth doing right. Mm -hmm. And that I tell myself that, like. I will be walking down the street and I'll see a piece of plastic and I'll be like super busy. I'm like, oh man, back up, pick it up, you know? But it it does take, and I think people here are like, well, you're always picking on us. I'm like, I pick on myself too. You know, I hold myself to that standard, but it's not that hard. Just do it. Actually, I'm reading from you. When you say it's not that hard, it may take calories and time of effort, Mm -hmm. but I'm not reading that you're suffering. No. What What is it? 
when you when you act on something environmentally that other people might pass that trash by and not stop and pick it up? I don't know. I think we talked the other day about uh, I use it as my workout. So I I hate wasting time more than anything. Mm. So if I can figure out a way to pick up plastic, clean up the environment, enjoy the beach and get a good workout, win, win, win. So I pick up the garbage. I do squats. I do lunges. I sometimes stop and do push-ups. I use the heavy bags to do arm curls and tricep, you know, exercises. It's fun. I love that so many people, it's like the opposite. They're like deprivation, sacrifice, distraction from what I really want to do in life. And you're like, what are you talking about? Why would I not? Why? This is everything in life. I would rather do that than go to the gym. Sometimes I have to go to the gym because it's a harder workout for what I do. But if I could just walk the beach every morning is my workout. Picking up, yeah. picking up garbage. And then, tragically at this point, I can't enjoy the beach with the plastic and there's always garbage. So thus I must pick up the garbage to enjoy the beach. <laughs> it's a circle. Yeah. No, th- yeah. We're not thanking people for putting the garbage there, Mm-mm. even though it gives us Mm-mm. a workout. So the, let the record also show there's a there's a barbecue going on and we're not there yet. And so we're taking time more gracious with your time. And I hope that people are getting the value that you can get from sport in general. But also you're at the peak of this. You could have retired and you're I didn't meet you earlier, but I mean, earlier in your life. But I feel like, if anything, you're accelerating. Yeah. Yeah. Evolving. But yeah. And in, on the environmental side as well, I presume when you were younger, it was not an issue as much because you didn't see as much plastic in the when ocean. I, no, we didn't see plastic at all. I grew up in the Great Lakes and we we drink the water out of the lakes. The biggest environmental thing we did was put a sweater on. I'm not turning the thermostat up. Uh-huh. Take shorter showers. We're like, well, the hot water is going to run out anyway, so we better take a short shower because uh-huh. you have the hot water heater turned down so low, mom. So when we spoke in New York, I told you about how I asked people on the podcast to, based on what what the environment means to them, if they're up for it, and it's not your option to, you're already doing a lot. And maybe you, you, you're probably, ah, yeah, I want the listeners to see this. You're probably doing more than most people. And for some people think, well, I've, I'm doing enough. Why should I do more? But I have a feeling that's not how you look at it. No, no, no. And did you come up with anything that you want and and I'll, well, the, the I'll one thing that I want to do. So here at Oak Cliff, obviously we have the mixed recycling everything. We don't use, um, we don't allow single use water bottles. Although I see one hiding behind the computer, and if they saw me seeing them walk in with it, they'd be in trouble. Um, we have everybody bring their own lunches, other than the volunteers and umpires, because we found that that when you try to package up a lunch for a sporting event to give to your competitors. They you it's a huge amount of waste, not only of the packaging to get it to them, but also the food that they don't like. Oh, they don't like tomatoes. That goes in the water. We cut down, we cut our garbage in half per week by doing that one simple thing, which is amazing. We have uh, solar uh, tubes upstairs, so we don't have to have the lights on as much as possible. We do compost. The one thing that I want to do there's a whole list when you're a nonprofit, but I want to build the deck out off the dorms upstairs so that we can then use the rain garden to grow some of our own vegetables for here. So then we're feeding ourselves com- using the compost. Cause right now I bring some of my compostable stuff from home in my car, up the stairs, onto the roof, into the compost bin, and then take the compost home with me, which seems a little bit crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah, I also want to point out that when, when we were speaking last time, you talked about, we were talking, I was talking about how 
I found it more convenient now that I cook from scratch. And you were like, yeah, of course. And you talked about the salad that you made and you're just grabbing all these vegetables and herbs and things from your garden. And, you know, when you get home after a late night, you still, you just throw well, together a, some that's stuff. That's a classic. Everybody's like, oh, I don't have time to garden. Um, I've traveled too much. I'm like, are you kidding me? I travel a lot before my before I was here. And I would have my garden just outside. I lived on the Lake St. Clair and Michigan. And so it was naturally being watered because it was right next to the lake and the canal. And I would come home and I would have like a piece of chicken in the freezer and go outside and get some peppers and some tomatoes. And I would have a wonderful fresh salad that was so much more convenient. And it was because I was so busy that I needed that. I love it. Yes. Thank you for thank you for living this way. <laughs> oh, and also when I got here and you said they're sandwiches and, you, and you're like, uh, they, they're wrapped in plastic wrap. So you're sensitive to that yes. as well. I appreciate that. I just don't have a better solution right now. Yeah, yeah. To, put, uh, to give time to, to umpires to put in their duffel bag to take out, take out in a small boat in the water. Mm-hmm. We do have reusable coolers, so we don't give them plastic bags or anything, but that's a tough one. I see the wheels turning. Yeah. Well, so is there something you'd want to do? It seems like the doing the, you want to do the compost thing here. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you'd want to do as for this podcast? Is it like something that, because the next step is after it's done, I want to. If your listeners want to help me um, raise funds to build the deck in the rain garden, because all we need is to do is put a rain barrel on the roof, right? I'm definitely going to put links on here so that people can learn about Oak Cliff and, okay. and, and contact you if that's okay with you. Yeah, no, I, and also I need to get this building purchased or another 10-year lease, and then I can invest in that. So it's it's all circular. But um, So helping Oak Cliff is helping sailing, helping people learning leadership. It's I look at American leadership, and we could use more people teaching like you because mm. we got people from like Ivy League business schools and law schools and stuff like that. I think they could learn a bit from you. Yes. I mean, they got these fancy degrees. They could come here. We could do team building. It could be a win-win. Yeah. (laughs) But I want to see if I can get something like a project that that I can talk to you afterward. It doesn't necessarily have to be a project, but something where you do something that's acting on what your values. Right. That after you do it and and that you weren't already doing and you don't have to fix all the world's problems. It can be small, but something, you know, a smart goal so that with the time. You know what? I'm going to. Obviously, I want to get the rain garden and everything going on the roof, but I'm going to try to figure out if there's a way for me to do some other kind of wrapping for the sandwiches. Like I use the silicon tops for my dishes. You know, I just have a normal dish. Rather than using saran wrap, you have the, but that's plastic again, but it's reusable forever and ever and ever um, for bringing my lunches in and that kind of stuff. But we, you know what is cool about Oak Cliff? We're innovative in the sailing and how we run races and how we organize and Every single day, somebody here comes up with some way of doing something better. Mm-hmm. And we know about the environment. And I told them about meeting you. So then we had, you know, that was our morning meeting the next day was all about sailing and how, you know, flying. You said that being on a train is what, one third or two thirds? It depends on the distances and so yeah. forth. But a third, the, the greenhouse. Yeah, so a third. So then all of a sudden they were like, wow. And then they started, you know, so we were having the conversations. Oh, awesome. I'm flattered. I'm honored. I'm humbled. <laughs> and uh, we have on our calendar for, what is it, two weeks from now, something like that, mm-hmm. um, when you're going to be in Manhattan. Yep. How- Celebrating New Heights. is the, It's a fundraiser that we're having at the top of the NASDAQ building. 
I could say I'd make everybody walk up, but I don't think I can charge them $125 for a ticket for a fundraiser and make them walk. Oh, I know what you do. It, you charge them $125, they could take the elevator. If they want to walk, they pay $250. <laughs> so when we meet then, maybe could we talk about how the sandwich issue gets resolved? We could try. If that's enough time. We can try. Okay. The simple one, is aluminum foil better than plastic? Probably. I'll re- I'm going to research. I will, yeah. I will have an answer. I will. What, what would someone come, what would you say if someone came to you with that? You'd say, I don't know. You tell me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd say wax paper. Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to research. I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking it could be reusable containers that you just, but I don't know if they need to, I don't know the conditions that do they have to hold on to the sandwich for a while. Yeah. Before they it eat goes it. in their duffel bag. And now you got me thinking. I tried to make a lettuce wrap today and that was a failure. Just to give you an idea. It's, I get the I get the three foot baguette. I cut it. I put like cream cheese or something to protect the moisture, and I put the fixings in, and then I squish it and kind of stretchy it with the with the saran wrap. I use as little as I possibly can, but I still use a piece of saran wrap per. I wonder if maybe something more of a kale than a or a collard green than than a lettuce might be a little. No, no, no. But they have the bread. Okay, now you got me thinking. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I could have done a better job of the lettuce wrap, but that guy was also lactose intolerant, so I couldn't use cream cheese to glue it together. So many, many, many challenges. <laughs> Man, I love this your take on on sailing, but I'm going to focus on the leadership part of of the attention to detail, the the empathy, the enthusiasm, the social and emotional skills. The method by which you approach it is not like, here's what to do, but here's like how to get there. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm reading. Right, right. It's always the process. Yeah. And how can you do it better? And, you know, every once in a while, because I've been doing it for so long, I'm like, you guys just trust me on this. This is the way you do it. With that being said, most of the time we have some kind of a circular conversation slash argument about how to do something mm-hmm. is when we agree that, there are many ways to do it, but we choose the Oak Cliff way. Mm. There's all sorts of different ways to do it, but this is the way that we're going to agree to do it. Done. I've learned a lot from this conversation. Uh, and sorry to the listeners, but I've learned more from being in this <laughs> environment. And if anyone's listening to this, I mean, I'm 47. I think your your peak is like 18 to 30, 15. No, high school kids, college oh, yeah. kids. In the sport of sailing, it keeps going, but yeah. Yeah, I guess sailing, because cruising is like accessible at all ages. and Even racing, it just depends which part of it. They always say you start off young and dumb and strong in the front of the boat. And as you get smarter and older, you move to the back of the boat and tell those people what to do. <laughs> so, man, people look up, Oak, I'll have the links. So follow the links to Oak Cliff. Follow the links to look up more about Dawn herself. And I hope this sends people your way, whether it's one for the people, I hope they get it people who are more interested in sailing and on the business side, I hope they start, I hope I get people tugging away from this as much as, as it'll make your life difficult. No, it's okay. And also within the, you know, scheduling, I, I truly enjoy going and speaking to, to companies and people that are, you know, that are themselves hungry to learn. Well, oh, I'd like to close with a couple questions. One is, is there anything I didn't think to ask that's uh, worth bringing up? The other is, is there anything you want to say directly to the listeners, to the leadership in the environment listeners? Um, I, we could talk for 10 hours, so we've covered probably enough. And then the other thing is, is that obviously I'm a, you know, passionate about the sport of sailing. Um, Oak Cliff is open 
to the public. We're a public nonprofit. We're in Oyster Bay, New York. We're relatively close to Manhattan, about an hour, depending on which train you take. But there's places all over the country that are reaching out and advocates for the sport as well. They're just not quite Oak Cliff, but anywhere in the country, if you want to get involved in the sport of sailing, it's not that hard. It is not elitist. There's a lot of really good, passionate people in the sport. Oh, then I have to add to that. Then from my experience, because the reason I didn't sail before was I viewed it as elitist. And the reason I'm sailing is that it's not flying. And because I want to get somewhere without flying and flying costs a lot more than sailing. I mean, I joined this thing so I could go all summer long and I'm my the amount of time that I'm getting out of it compared to the cost is like so much better than flying. And it's really accessible. I mean, I go out on the water. It's maybe a mile or two from home and it's a world away. Yes. And I mean, physically, emotionally, mentally, the people, it's just, oh, and yet how long have humans sailed? 10,000 years? Egyptians. I mean, the first navigators. The people that left, we don't know where exactly, Hawaii and New Zealand, Tahiti, those are all the same people. And they got there on rafts with sails that they followed the stars and the currents and the, and the stories, oral history came back. There's a book, I think it's called The Last Navigator or something. Yeah, no, it's been forever and ever and ever. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's such an amazing experience and, and so accessible. I had no idea how accessible it is and how much when you show interest to people who have sailboats, they're like, come on. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. And and I hope you don't mind that I augmented that. Well, let's leave it there. I look forward to talking to you in a couple of weeks and Don Raleigh. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. See you soon. Did it come across the force of nature that she is? Very few people succeed at her level in sports or business or education or in life. If you're thinking of ways to follow up on this, first, I recommend getting yourself on a sailboat. If you haven't done it before, I think Dawn would be very pleased to learn that one of the outcomes of this is that a lot of people got on sailboats. If you didn't know, I met her because I'm learning to sail. I'm learning to sail because I'm learning how to travel without flying. And just because it's not flying doesn't mean it would be really enjoyable. Sailing is really great. It's a whole other world. Second, what everyone says that they don't have time for, that is bothering with the environment, she does without a second thought. I put to you that maybe not paying attention to the details keeps us from succeeding at her level. And maybe paying attention to details creates leadership, not distracts from it. Because she's worrying about the bathroom. She's worrying about how you wrap up sandwiches. She's making meetings happen in preparation for meeting me that she didn't have to do. She pays attention to these details. And you might not have heard it in the conversation with me, but you can see it in the conversations that she has with everybody, that she knows details about everyone. She cares and it comes off and people want to follow her. You just can't argue with that level of success despite or because of that level of detail because she's not faking anything. Anyway, I look forward to hearing how she resolves this issue of how to wrap sandwiches because I can tell that once she gets the sandwiches down, she's going to use what she learned there for other things. And then I can learn from her. feel inspired to then act go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others value means better and worse and living by your values means living better by your values you may struggle at first but it's the hero's journey from living by others values to living by yours 
People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.